0: Welcome to Oral Presentations, episode 51 H.H. Holmes. What if Charles Ponzi killed a bunch of people? This is going to be our first, I think this is our first full on murderer. Just a serial killing dingbat. All the information from this is going to come from uh, the book Devil in the White City by a dude named Eric Larson. I dated a girl 10 years, 9 years ago, 8, 10 like a decade who was reading this book we were living together and she was like, you should read this. And I was like, yeah, I'll read that. So this is, uh, I, I didn't read the book. I audio booked it for this, but it took a decade. You know, uh, I think that still counts as a lie. I told her I was going to read it, but ma- you know, I audiobook. I don't know if that counts or not. I don't know. Also, if you're going to audiobook it careful because there's two different versions on iTunes. There's one, that's only like a third of the book read the reviews if you're gonna get Devil in the White City audiobook. it's a pretty good book uh, but it's it covers the murders of HH Holmes if you don't know who he is he's I think people call him America's first serial killer. this do, I mean but he does he has a lot of Charles Ponzi in him so I like the story and it's also a 10 year 10 year old half lie that I gotta kind of like ah finally squared that a little bit. So we're gonna cover HH Holmes. I like the story. There's no way this guy could have gotten away with this today. There's there's too many... This guy is Michael Loose Ends. This guy... That's why he gets caught. He just leaves fucking loose ends everywhere. If the internet... This guy, this couldn't be done. If there was... If you had good telephones, this couldn't have gotten done. I, in my opinion. I think it's just all paperwork and nobody talking to each other. Also, H.H. H. Holmes did most of his killing during uh, this 400-year Columbus Fair anniversary. Huge thing that happened in Chicago. That's... Again, if you're going to read Devil in the White City, like 75% of it is about this 400-year anniversary fair in Chicago. 25% of it, guy who was serial killing during this 400-year anniversary fair in Chicago. I I don't know. It's a weird mix. I don't know if I don't understand the book or what. I mean, I went through the whole thing. Again, it's like 75% World's Fair and how Chicago was trying to establish itself as a major city among... New York and Philadelphia, and then 25% of it is like, and then he killed his ninth wife. Like, H.H. H. Holmes, killed, we'll get into it, H.H. H. Holmes killed a ton of women. Uh, his official body, he killed dudes too, He killed, probably dogs, they don't talk about that. There's no, the guy definitely killed animals when he was young. He's a classic serial killer, so we're going to go through the story of H.H. H. Holmes from his childhood, how he ended up in Chicago, how that went, uh, and he, he, I mean, at one point in time, he builds like a Disney haunted mansion of murder only guy I know who pulled that off. Again, no way you could pull that off in fucking 2020 with the internet. This guy, how he builds it and the whole thing. We're going to cover all of it. Now, H.H. Holmes' official body count sits at 27 that he confessed to once he got arrested. Uh, But they say it could be up to 200 people. There's no real way to get a gauge on this because most of his killings took place during that World's Fair in Chicago. And there's so many people that disappeared. There's no real way to find out how many... How many people this guy just disappeared because he was running a... We'll get into how... He was just picking people off at that World's Fair, dude. Anyway, all right. H.H. Holmes, episode 51. What if Charles Ponzi killed a bunch of people? All right. H.H. Holmes' real name out the gate... His, his real name is Mudget. which sounds like... Well, that's a murderer name. Mudget, dude. Ew. Anyway, so his real name is Mudget, and he's quoted as saying... After, after he got caught and he was confessing shit, he did write memoirs, which, by the way, that's a nightmare for me to spell I didn't know about. I spell memoirs with a U in there. Incorrect. I looked it up. Memoirs is M-E-M-O-I-R, and then you throw an S on the end, I guess. And then, just for posterity's sake, I looked up what actually memoirs means, because like I would guess at it. But, like, yeah, some guy wrote a story about himself. But memoir is technically a nonfiction account of personal memories, written by the person whose memories they are. So that's a memoir. Again, if you already knew that, sorry, all right? I just, I, I found myself not being able to spell it. So I was like, just look up what the fuck it actually means. Not that I couldn't halfway, but it's good to actually know what memoir is supposed to be. Anyway, so in his memoirs, Holmes is quoted as saying, he always had the desire to kill. This And the same way that some people have the desire, I mean, everybody wants to eat, everybody wants to drink water, everyone wants to breathe air. Holmes was like, I just always had a pang in me to kill my whole life. So that's who we're dealing with, dude. Genuine dingbat here. So, Mudget's childhood. And we'll get into when he changes his name to Holmes and why. He's such a fucking, it's a dork move for why he picks Holmes. Anyway, so Mudget as a boy, curious kid, doing weird shit. Classic young serial killer. He's looking around at stuff, but then he takes it too far. Starts cutting up squirrels, saving heads, doing all sorts of weird shit dissected animals, reading Edgar Allan Poe, wearing Invader Zim t-shirt, fucking hanging out by himself. When he was a boy, it's noted that he got his picture taken by a photographer that had one leg. Now it said that this like stunned young Mudgett. He was over there getting his picture taken, having like JC Penney's boss golf Christmas photos done, and then Mudgett claims that the photographer took off his fake leg and waved it around in the air to make young Mudgett laugh. And then in his memoirs, he says that like, when I saw that, I was stunned and I wondered if the guy's head could come off too. So yeah, classic young serial killer childhood here, you know, cutting up animals, wondering if a guy with one leg's head also comes off. There are some questions here. Anyway, grew up a little bit. Then he went to medical college and he specialized in dissection. All right, but he's going to medical college. People need to know the human anatomy. Hasn't gone off the rails yet gets out of medical college and becomes a teacher at 16 years old and then principal of that school. Now, as principal, he had a good reputation, but already bad shit starting to happen around him while well, his name is still Mudget, and he's just like, I don't know, what what happened? Like, he's a principal, and then like a little boy disappears, and they're like, oh my god, where'd he go? And Mudget's like, I'm not sure, that's tough though. I'm not sure where that little kid went. What is it, Wednesday? I'm not sure. Who, ask somebody else. Oh man, I'm broken up about that. But he was really charming. He has that Ponzi silver tongued devil in him that, that's a through line through this whole story and how he gets away with it for so long. The guy is nothing but fucking loose ends. But whenever it comes to talking to somebody, he could do he could just emote do the serial killer thing where he's totally he's a psychopath. He's playing a role the whole time that looks like a human that's really charming. And it's noted that he was kind of an attractive man with icy blue eyes and stuff. I mean, you can find a picture of him. yeah I mean he was a successful doctor in Chicago I I mean he wore a bowler hat all the time I don't know but people were like he's like a hot young doctor who's rich and he's running his own thing so that was part of his allure to suck people in is that he was very charming and very empathetic on the surface but quietly totally a fucking murderer so even as a principal boy disappears he's like I'm not sure what's going on there I can't help you He quickly grabs a young wife, hello, gets married, and leaves town. Now, he's still poor. He didn't mind being a school principal. He had a good reputation, and it paid him in, like, gratitude, but he was poor. And he was like, I can't be fucking poor my whole life, dude. I'm not doing this. So he's got to find a way to get money. So he's got a young wife. He's broke. He's got a resume as being a principal. Went to medical school. Okay, so he starts scamming people on the road by selling textbooks. As I understand it, he was, like, flipping textbooks on the road, which like five years ago, Philly comics were doing where they're I don't know who's who whatever the fuck was going on there, but it was the thing where like if you've went to college, you know, at the end of the at the end of the semester, how like there's like uh, trailers set up that are like we'll buy your books back and like you paid one hundred and fifty dollars for a philosophy book and then the fucking guy in the trailers like I give you seventeen fifty for it. And it's a perfect book you never opened it because you didn't you didn't do any of the readings and you're like what are you talking about? Apparently Holmes did something like that as far as scamming people goes to. That was his first check. So he, he makes a little bit of money and he's like, I'm still not happy. I got a babe. I need more money. So he comes up with a medical school scam here. So what he was doing was that he was going to, he goes up to his friends. He's like, Hey, here's the thing. I know medical schools need dead bodies, right? They need cadavers. Here we go. Right. And I know a little bit about the insurance industry. So he would go up to his friends and be like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fake your death. Okay. Don't worry about it. You just got to go away. You'll go away to like, I don't know, Poughkeepsie. Just fucking disappear for a little bit, right? I'll get a body from a medical college and then we'll fuck it up. I'll burn it and shit and we'll say you died in an explosion. It's terrible, right? Meanwhile, you're up in Poughkeepsie or wherever else. I don't know where you're going. We'll claim the insurance money. I'll split it with you. All you got to do is move. We get paid out. So he starts pulling this off. Now, some of his friends do move somewhere else, and other people just never get heard from again. And this was a scam that Holmes was running pretty much the whole time, once he thought of it. It was like, convince somebody to do this scam with you, and then maybe kill them. Some of the early ones he didn't kill, but towards the end there, he was I mean, he was claiming insurance. This is how he, he kept his murder empire running, once he built his Disney haunted mansion of actual murder. He would just claim life insurance on all these people that he murdered, get rid of the bodies or provide them with a cadaver body, get paid the fuck out. Because again, this is, this all happens in like 1880, 1890, where paperwork and insurance companies are all kind of like getting their feet underneath them. They don't have like a computer system to check who's doing what. And Mudget, who would later change his name to Holmes, had a ton of different aliases, which eventually bites him in the ass when he actually gets caught. But again, just a ton of loose ends. And at the beginning, he's just lying and lying and lying and getting paid by insurance companies, killing some of his friends. Run insurance scams with his friends and paying them on other ones. So after running the insurance scam thing, he moves to Philadelphia, where he becomes a pharmacist with his medical degree. And he's a legit pharmacist at this point in time. All of a sudden, the kid dies because he gives him the wrong medicine. People come to his pharmacy and they're like, "Mudget, you killed that kid. What do you have to say for yourself? And Mudgett's like, oh my god, I feel so bad about that. Just real quick, I just gotta go to Chicago. Goodbye. I'm not fucking talking to any of you guys anymore. I'll see you. So he accidentally, or on purpose, we don't really know, killed a kid in Philadelphia, and then rolled to Chicago. And this is when he changes his name from Mudget to H.H. Holmes, which also kind of feels like he was maybe trying to get away from a child murder that he did in Philadelphia. Why the fuck are you changing your name, buddy? Goes to, goes to Chicago, Sets up shop, and he's like, all right, my name's H.H. Holmes now. And he changed his name to H.H. Holmes because he thought it sounded like regal, royal, English. And it comes out that he thought it sounded all like that because the Sherlock Holmes books were out at the time, and they were really popular. He just took the name from the Sherlock Holmes books because he thought it sounded like English royalty. So anyway, his name's H.H. Holmes now. And Chicago is booming at this point in time. They're gearing up for this World's Fair. The, it's, the, it's technically the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering the new world. It's, it's an excuse to have a huge party. And the reason that Chicago, well, America, number one, but especially Chicago, wants to throw a banger is because a couple of years ago, France threw a World's Fair. And that's when they unveiled the Eiffel Tower. And then everybody in the world was like, holy shit, France is the best country on Earth. Have you seen the Eiffel Tower? Nobody can fuck with France. And young America was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? They're giving it to France, dude? They're saying that about France. So, that America had an excuse to throw a party. And specifically, the city of Chicago wanted to throw this party because Chicago was an up-and-coming industrial power in America. But everybody kind of... Re- they sort of had a reputation of being a backwoods city at this time. Because they were an industrial city that was known for hog slaughtering, because they're in the Midwest... It was it was just a lot of pigs. and I think that's where Chicago sausage comes from. Where no, if you're from Chicago, listen to this. I apologize for not looking into this more. But as I understand it in the book, Chicago had a chip on its shoulder for not being recognized as being like a New York City or even a Philadelphia or a Washington, D.C. Because when they were trying to figure out where to throw this 400th anniversary of Columbus party, they wanted to do it in D.C. And Chicago was like, yo, seriously, fuck all that. We can throw a banger out here. I'm telling you, we want to do it. And once they got it, they, once they got the event, Everybody in Chicago, like all of Chicago, knew this is for the reputation of Chicago. And America was hyped to have a major city behind the idea of throwing a party that was way better than France's party with the Eiffel Tower because America wants to be seen as the best in the world. So Chicago is booming. There's a ton of extra labor flying around. A bunch of people are moving to Chicago because they know this fair is about to be coming on. And so this actually really helps Holmes when he gets into his disney haunted mansion plan which we're coming up to because there's a ton of labor that's non-union just rolling around the city of chicago looking for work because of the construction of the fair and they're gonna do they're pulling out all the stops for this columbus party that's supposed to show up france they make like man-made lagoons it's the first ferris wheel ever i'll get to some of the shit they they actually did at this party because it is it was a cool part of the book where they describe all the things that chicago teamed up to be able to produce to be to impress the world and try to reestablish America as like the place to be when France was really killing it with the Eiffel tower. So Chicago's booming. People need somewhere to live. Holmes gets to Chicago and and he's like looking around for a place to set up shop as a pharmacy. Guy dies, owns a pharmacy. Holmes goes up to the widow, of the guy who died. And he's like, Hey babe, how are you? And it also, I'm not just saying that Holmes was a smoothie like that for no reason. He was saying shit like that, like, that's not me being like, hey, babe, like, I don't talk like that. The, the, the Charles Ponzi in Holmes was very much pickup artisty, dude. He was mystery method in everybody. That's part of his, he was like more uh, sexually aggressive than Charles Ponzi. Charles Ponzi was about getting fucking paid and having a heated swimming pool in Boston and living life. Holmes, murdering women a shitload of time. He had a, a way more of that, like, I got a felt top hat on, I'm touching your shoulder for no reason. It all, because of the people he wanted to stay at his murder pal. So, lady dies. Holmes goes up to her and he's like, hey babe, how you doing? I heard your husband died. That's tough. Can I buy this store off you? And she's like, yeah, I'm really broken hearted. My husband died. That's fine. Thank you. You're a nice young doctor with blue eyes. You seem like a nice guy. So, Holmes sets up shop with a pharmacy in Chicago. Almost immediately after that pharmacy gets opened, the widow disappears. And people are like, alright, where that... We got a new pharmacy, but, like, where'd that lady go? We, like, knew her. Where did she go? People started asking Holmes, like, hey, where'd that lady go that you bought this off of? And Holmes was like, I don't know, she, like, went to California. I heard she went to California. She was always talking about California, dude. She was like, I like that Katy Perry song. I'm going out there. I don't give a shit. You know, whatever. So she's in California now. I mean, you could probably write her a letter. Like, you can give me a letter, and I'll send it to her. I don't really know where the forward address is. Please don't ask me. But, yeah, she's gone to Chicago. You're never going to see her again, for sure. So 1886. Holmes is running this successful pharmacy slinging tonics and having single attractive women in Chicago show up to flirt with this young business owner, blue eyed doctor, successful, single. So he already has a lot of young female clients coming to him because of his like Charles Ponzi pickup artist scheme shit. And nobody knows he's a terrible murderer yet. So he's doing all right. And he's making a lot of friends. June 28th, 1887. He grabs a second wife in Chicago named Murta. Now. She was taken in by his big city, oh, I'm a risky doctor, oh. Because a lot of his his wives and the women that he preyed upon, he would specifically look for women who are naive, who are coming from the Midwest. So like, because Chicago was this new up-and-coming industrial city that had a lot of charm to it. So women from Davenport, Iowa, or Omaha, Nebraska, these rural areas would be moving to Chicago to look the start of life. And they're like young, attractive, 25-year-old women And Holmes would see that and see that they don't have any connections. Nobody knows them in the city. No, like nobody gives a shit. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. So if he can get to them and be like, oh, hey, what's up? I'm da, da, da. And Myrta was one of those. So he just took advantage of a naive woman who moved to Chicago. Now his new wife, Myrta helps him with the pharmacy. And she's like, all right, he's a little weird, but I think he's just ambitious. I think he's just ambitious. He's got some peccadillos to him, but he's rich. I'm living a pretty good life. It's fine. Also, it's noted that H.H. Holmes didn't smoke, drink, or gamble, which that's like a a common thing that like if somebody doesn't smoke, drink, or gamble, they're hiding something. I don't know if that's like, uh, I don't know. uh, I've heard that said before, but like if nobody has any obvious vices, like everybody's got something. And H.H. Holmes, he really had a something here. He's just a crazy murderer behind closed doors. But he didn't smoke, drink, or gamble, but he had, everybody's got something, you know? So... And his wife's like, I don't know what's going on. He's just a great husband. He's a little strange sometimes. He sort of smells like chemicals every now and then, but he's warm to everyone. Now, at this point in time, Holmes knows the the huge Chicago 400-year Columbus thing is going to be coming up soon, so he wants to expand because he sees that as like, holy shit, there's going to be a bunch of people coming that I can murder at that thing. I got to get this going. So this is when he invents his murder palace. Now, he sees it in his head before he... He he builds it, obviously, but he sees it all at once. So he buys an entire city block that's right across the street from the pharmacy that he bought off that widow who mysteriously went to California, you know, but he buys a city block across the street. He's like, nice in his own head. He's like, this is going to be my fucking murder palace. Can't wait. So he doesn't hire an architect because he knows it's going to be a murder palace. So he wants to keep it quiet. The way he designed this in his head, he wanted retail shops on the first floor because that would generate income. And allow him to employ as many young women as possible. And then the second and third floor is going to be apartments to rent out to those young women that work for him. And just other young women that are coming to the Chicago Fair. And then he's going to have a corner office on the second floor. Murder Palace. There's also going to be a wooden chute from the second floor into the basement. And that's going to be coated in axle grease. For throwing the bodies of people he just murdered down from the second floor into the basement. And then uh, there's also going to be a special soundproof room on the second floor. So he had a corner office in the second floor, room right next to his office, uh, custom built like a vault, a bank vault, slam shut, heavy iron door, totally soundproof with uh, mineral insulation, they said, all around. So nobody could hear what goes on in there. And then he ran gas lines into the bank vault special murder Chamber next to his office, and he also ran secret gas lines into the other apartment rooms. So if he wanted to, in the middle of the night, he could just in in his office where he slept, he could just turn on a gas valve and kill somebody. Then you know Axel Grease shoot that body down to the basement and uh, do whatever the fuck, yeah, you know, whatever he was into. I don't know. Anyway, so hey, you got an idea for a murder palace? How the fuck are you gonna build this without anybody asking questions about why you're building the murder palace, buddy? Well. With all that free labor floating around Chicago because of that fair coming up, Holmes had a couple of plans here. So first thing he did, he got labor from newspaper ads. So he had dudes from that just come in and they start digging the foundation. Now, what Holmes did during the construction of this entire huge murder palace he had going is that he would have laborers come in, non-union guys, he would have them work for one week, two weeks, maybe a month, and then he would go up to them and be like, your work fucking sucks, you're fired, and I'm not paying you. Whether or not the work was good, it was just a way to get around paying people. A little bit, a little bit of scam going on here. A little bit of Charles. But I even, feel, I feel bad comparing this dude to Charles Ponzi. Ponzi didn't kill anybody; he just stole a bunch of money. But it was one of these financial scheme things that Holmes had going. He fucking didn't pay anybody again; just making more loose ends. But he would have construction guys come work for three days, work for two weeks, then be like, "Your work is terrible. You shouldn't even be holding a hammer. You gotta leave." And they'd be like, "Fuck you!" But they don't have any way to sue him. They're poor. Laborers. They don't he can't get a lawyer, so there's no way for them to come back at home. So he gets his murder palace built on the cheap. Now, even getting it built on the cheap, you still got some weird parts of that. How are you gonna get somebody to build a soundproof room and explain that shit? Now, the way he did that is that he divided the labor up. So he would hire one or two guys and they would have them do a real weird part. Like he had maybe one or two or three guys do the soundproof vault room. And then have another two or three guys put a gas line in there and then fire them all separately and hope they never talk to each other. Again, just a ton of loose ends here, but he did get the place built. Now, while he was getting this place built with all the laborers, he was also testing some of the laborers to see if he could find some assistance for his serial killing. So he would do weird shit and laborers afterwards would like write down, once Holmes got caught, they were like, I fucking built that place. That guy did a bunch of weird shit when I was working on that place, specifically one laborer is quoted as saying that, like, Holmes came up to him once and was like, hey, how you doing, buddy? See that guy down there? It was, like, up on the roof. He was like, hey, what's up? You see, uh, there's a dude down there. I'll give you 50 bucks if you uh, take that huge rock that's on this roof with us. Just hit him in the head and kill him. I don't like him. I'll give you 50 bucks. What do you think? And the guy was like, ah. You fucking around? What's up? And Holmes was like, yeah, I'm totally messing around. Sorry about that. And then just walked away. But the laborer was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. What is this place, dude? But Holmes was checking out laborers because he needed helpers for a serial murder. And he was about to get going. So he eventually finds three dudes he could trust as murder helpers. And they become his personal assistants. One of them specifically, his name was Pitzel, was his chief murder helper. The guy was an alcoholic with a neck wart and gross teeth. Destined to be a murder helper, honestly. 1889. Here's a coincidence. Holmes started building his murder palace around the same time that Jack the Ripper in London became popular in the newspapers, murdering prostitutes. And people think that Holmes may have seen Jack the Ripper in the newspapers, got jealous-slash-inspired. I mean, ultimately, Jack the Ripper, I believe he only his kill count is five, but Holmes saw that and was like, oh, I could do that. And People think that Holmes got inspired by Jack the Ripper. So, murder palace complete. What's it look like at the end? First floor, five retail stores. Second floor, 35 rooms with 51 doors. Because sometimes there was like secret doors, hidden passages, doors that led to nowhere, doors that shouldn't even be there. The whole thing was built like a fucking maze. So if anybody realized that like, oh shit, I'm about to get murdered by this guy, it was kind of hard to figure out where the fuck you were unless you were H.H. Holmes. He had like secret passages in the back. Murder palace, dude. Third floor, 36 rooms. Now. The retail stores on the first floor, you got a barbershop, you got a pharmacy restaurant, or you got a pharmacy and a restaurant, you got glass bending, and you got a doctor's office that was under another name, but people speculate that that was just H.H. Holmes doing a doctor's office thing under a different name. The guy had 19, the guy had so many different aliases. Also, one of the things that's important here, he bought this property under a totally different name, and which comes into play once people start asking for money. So... How did he pay for this? He took out loans and just didn't pay anybody back. And he directed creditors to, to talk to the owner of the building. That's why he put it under another name. He took, took out massive loans, being a charismatic doctor with a successful pharmacy. and he's, People said he at the time, before they found out he was a horrific murderer, that the guy embodied the Chicago spirit. Because the whole city was on the come up. It was industrializing. This World's Fair was coming up. They're trying to make their mark in America. And Holmes fit the ideal that everybody in Chicago kind of wanted to believe is possible in Chicago that you go and you make your own li- living and have a successful pharmacy and a wife and all this other shit. Meanwhile, he's just a horrific serial murderer behind closed doors. So, uh, Holmes Charles Pazzi's everybody, paid nobody. He's got a murder palace. And he also, he hired a lawyer on a retainer to keep him out of trouble just in case any of those laborers did lawyer up or decide to talk to each other or anything like that. Now, people did have questions about this guy. Specifically... He used to buy a shitload of chloroform off of one, like a chloroform dealer. So one week he went to the chloroform dealer and he would buy like every week he would come and get like cases of chloroform from this guy. So eventually HH Holmes shows up and the chloroform dealer is like, Hey man, what are you, uh, what are you using this for, man? And Holmes is just like science experiments. And then he, he fucking went away with all that chloroform. He came back the next week to the same chloroform dealer and was like, Hey, where's my chloroform at? And this. This chloroform dealer was like, yeah, how's that science coming, dude? And Holmes was like, what are you talking about? What? I don't know what you're talking about. Where's my chloroform? And then just went away with another week's shipment of chloroform. So that, I mean, there were people with questions. The guy's making loose ends everywhere. But the police and everybody in Chicago at the time was kind of classist as far as who's capable of murdering people. The guy, he had the facade of being a young, successful doctor on the come-up in Chicago, so even though he's doing weird shit like buying truckloads of chloroform, we don't know where the fuck he's going, he built a a huge place and he's only renting it out to women, I don't know what's going on there, but I mean everybody's kind of classist, so they don't expect somebody who looks and acts and has a life like that to be able to fucking murder everybody. So, Holmes putting a couple finishing touches on his Disney Haunted Mansion here, he made sure to make friends with all local police. He would give them coffee and donuts and talk with them a little bit when they'd stop by just to make sure that nobody ever you know, built as much social currency as he could with those guys. Cause he knew what terrible shit he was doing behind closed doors. The creditors are getting a little bit more aggressive with asking what's going on with this fucking money. You haven't paid us back anything, man. And anytime they ask about that Holmes is like, look, you're look, I'm HH H. Holmes. You are looking for a guy named H S Campbell he that's who owns this building i don't know who that i wish you luck finding him i never see him every now and then i might get a letter from him but i don't keep any of those letters don't ask me why again i'm h.h H. holmes if you guys are looking for money you got to talk to h.s campbell i'm not sure good luck finding him if you find him tell him i said hi now looking back people do say that uh the old term for psychopath was moral insanity which they would have they would have called h.h H. holmes he has moral insanity but these days it's categorized as a, he's a psychopath. So again, everything that he does is just playing a role to hide what his actual desires are. Now Holmes starts running out of money a little bit. He's still running the insurance scam for any dead bodies he has, but the the creditors don't want to give him a whole lot more money. So he needs cash. He gets a loan from a dude. Dude comes over to Holmes's castle, AKA murder palace. And he's like, Hey, what's up? I'll give you this loan. You seem like a good guy. And Holmes is like, yeah, sure. Can you come up on the roof with me real quick though? And the guy's like, huh? I don't, I'm not actually good. I'm kind of old. I'm not good at stairs. I'm not coming up on that roof, man. I'm good. And Holmes is like, oh, come on. It's a great view. Come up on the roof right now. And the guy's like, nah, I really don't want to, I kind gotta... of, I have diarrhea or something. I can't go up there, dude. And Holmes is like, all right, well then please stay here for the night. Stay in one of my rooms. And the guy agrees to stay in one of the rooms in this house because he was embarrassed of being scared of going on the, room, on the roof with Holmes. He was like, oh, that was probably paranoia. I didn't want to hurt this guy's feelings. So this dude who gave him a loan and refused to go on the roof sleeps one night in Holmes's palace of murder and fucking and in the middle of the night. He's just laying there. And he's like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then he hears, because he locked his door, he hears somebody trying to unlock the door from the outside. And he wakes up. He's like, hello? How? Hi. Who's, who's that? And then the jingle jangle into the door stops and goes away. And the next day that dude fucking bolts out of there. Never asked for his money back because in his head, he's like, I know Holmes is trying to push me off that roof, dude. I do not want my money back. I do not want to go near that guy again. I don't want to talk about it. He definitely was going to kill me either on that roof or in that room. Don't trust that fucking guy. I'll ask for my money back like once, maybe by mail, but I'm not really pursuing that. I just don't want to see that dude again, but Holmes got paid off that. Keep it rolling. At this point in time, Holmes installs a bootleg crematorium in the basement, putting some finishing touches on this before the fair starts. It's a He installs a kiln, and he tells people it's for the glass bending business on the first floor. And it's built, but Holmes is like, that's not enough heat. I need more heat. So a worker comes out to fix it, and Holmes doesn't really want to show him the kiln. He keeps him on like the, the first floor, and he's like, just tell me how to make a kiln be hotter. And the worker's like, I can't fix a kiln if I can't look at it, dude. So finally, Holmes is like, all right, well, just come in the basement with me. I guess you can look at it. So the worker goes downstairs to the basement and takes a look at the kiln. And meanwhile, the basement looks like a coal mine, and it smells like a surgery room. Like, it smells wonky as shit. And the worker's like, I don't know. I don't really want to be fucking down here. So the worker takes a look at the kiln, and he's like, this is a fine kiln, but it's definitely the wrong shape for glass, man. It's it's shaped. It, you can't put a whole pane of glass in there. You know you built this wrong, right? And Holmes is like, yeah, just make it hotter. Just make it. I didn't ask you for that. I I need it as hot as possible, okay? And the guy's like, all right. But later on, once Holmes gets caught, that guy was like, oh, he was definitely making me build a bootleg crematorium down there. That's why he wanted it so hot, so he could try to burn up human remains and bodies. People start noticing at this point in time that a lot of women, because he is renting out the rooms. He's got 36 rooms on the third floor, and what was it, 51 doors? I think it was like 28 rooms on the second floor. He's renting those rooms out to women, and those women are disappearing. Now, some of them do work for him, but people don't suspect H.H. Holmes. He has a great reputation. The cops love him. They come by for donuts all the time. The chloroform guy definitely thinks he's weird, and that one dude who's going to push off the roof totally doesn't trust him. But there's no internet. You can't yelp this guy. People are just like, this dude's so nice. This is great. Meanwhile, a ton of women are just disappearing that are staying in his place, but everybody actually feels bad for H.H. Holmes. Cause he'll come out and complain and be like, I'll tell you what, you just can't find good help out here. You know, these girls come from like Des Moines, Iowa and all these other places. And uh, I guess they show up and they just don't really know, you know, what they want to do with their life. So they'll stay here maybe a couple of weeks. And then sometimes they leave a note about going to California. You know, I hear a lot of them go to California, but you know, I'm having a hard time finding consistent work, you know, and everybody in the neighborhood's like, Oh, that's tough, man. I well, stick at it. I hope you find some good ones. So, but because of the labor surplus in Chicago, nobody's ever going to catch on to this. And there's no yelp. You can't, nobody is putting any of these pieces together. And Holmes is a charming guy. Now, the murder palace is also pretty close to where this World's Fair is going to take place. And Holmes is gearing up for this to start. At this point in time, he hires a jeweler and also the jeweler's wife and his sister. Now, both the wife and the sister are attractive and Holmes starts creeping on them like, hello, right? And again, Holmes is charismatic. He puts on all the pickup artist shit, his bejangled bracelets on, whatever the fuck he's got. And he's like, oh, hello, right? So Holmes asks Ned, the jewel guy, hey, can you come upstairs to the second floor with me real quick? I got this room I want to check out, right? So he brings Ned, the jeweler, up to the second floor to test the soundproof vault. So, first... Holmes has Ned the jeweler stand in the hallway and then Holmes himself goes into this soundproof vault and shuts the door and screams his head off and then he opens the door and he's like hey can you uh did you hear any of that and Ned the jeweler's like nah I didn't hear my room works pretty good and Holmes is like all right cool now you go in and do it go in and scream your head off like you're getting murdered and Ned the jeweler's like uh yeah, all right, that sounds good, As but it's noted in the book that, like, as soon, as soon as Ned got in there and did the screaming, and then Holmes opened the back, opened the door back up, Ned is quoted as saying, I didn't like that business at all, so he, I mean, Ned the jeweler, suspect here, he's like, why the fuck am I, why are we checking, who is screaming in that vault, why do you need that, man, whatever, 1891, 1893, Holmes' murder palace is now referred to by everybody in Chicago as the castle, and not in a bad way. H.H. Holmes has a castle they built, and it's a part of the Chicago spirit, up and coming with the city. Now, Holmes at this point in time starts getting cozy with Ned's wife, and this is when Ned's, Ned's wife's sister, for no reason, just leaves. And Holmes didn't murder. She actually leaves. They don't, it's not, nobody really knows what happened to this lady, but for some reason she was freaked the fuck out. People speculate Holmes tried to do something to her, but the sister didn't even tell her her sister or Ned what happened, was just like, I gotta get out of here, and just left. So the sister's gone. And then Holmes makes Ned and his wife take out life insurance. What a classic move here. So then Holmes then tries to curry favor with Ned because Ned's kind of suspecting Holmes of trying to get in on it with his wife, which isn't a lie. That's kind of what Holmes was doing. And so to try to get Ned to calm down on like, Hey man, I, I might be trying to sleep with your wife, but please don't be weird about it. He gives Ned the pharmacy on the first floor, but he only does this to be able to dish off a shitload of business debts on this jeweler, Ned, because he doesn't tell him that like, okay, by, well, by inheriting this business off me, you also take all of that debt that has nothing to do with me anymore. Congratulations. You're a business owner. You used to be a jeweler. Now you own a pharmacy. Deal with all those creditors. That's got nothing to do with me. And Ned complains to H.H. Holmes like, hey, man, this is fucking crazy. And Holmes is like, well, that's what it is. I thought you knew what it was to own a business, man. Don't come to me with your problems. I can't help you. So Ned gets fed up and he's like, this is not what I wanted. I'm pretty sure you're trying to fuck my wife. I'm leaving. So Ned rolls, leaves the building. He's like, I'll fucking see you. Baby, you coming with me? And Ned's wife is like, yeah, bye, bitch, fucking take off. I'm staying here with this young doctor with this palace, dude. There's nothing bad that goes on here. Sometimes it smells like chemicals, but don't worry about it. Look, this guy's rich. He's got blue eyes. There's no way he's killing hundreds of women. I don't know what's going on. I'll see you. So Ned rolls. And now Holmes gets Ned's wife pregnant almost right away. So yeah, dude, Ned wasn't out of his mind. Holmes was trying to fuck his wife the whole time. Holmes gets her pregnant. And she's like, oh, we're going to have a kid. And Holmes is like, no, we're not. Now, I will marry you. This is the deal he strikes with her. He's like, I do love you. I'm going to marry you. But there's not time right now with the Chicago Fair coming up. Here's the thing. I'll marry you if you let me perform an abortion on you. And then we'll have kids later. I don't have time for a kid right now. We can't be doing that Uh, now. Just, you know, look, I'm a doctor. I'll do it myself. I'll use chloroform. You're not going to feel anything. So on Christmas, and she's like, all right, that sounds fine. So on Christmas Eve, Holmes goes and in the building Tells her, they like, all right, I'm going to perform an abortion on you. And he just kills her with chloroform. He just kills her with a chloroform rag. There's no, there's no, I mean, he, he sets it up like he's going to do a surgery. And then she's like, and he just chloroforms. That's it. Ned's wife's dead. That's that. Holmes tells people that both of them went to Davenport, Iowa, you know. And then also Holmes sells Ned's wife's skeleton to a medical college to run that insurance plan again. Make a couple bucks off of that. And then a new family takes that room that Ned the jeweler and his wife were in. New room, let's rent it out, make it some more money. Now, at this point in time, Holmes' assistant, Pitzel, has to go to rehab. He's getting too fucked up to be a murder helper anymore. He's hammered all the time. It's a liability, and Holmes is like, you gotta get out of here. You gotta quit getting so fucked up. And he sends him to rehab. Now, a secondary reason that Holmes sent his number one murder helper, you know, Igor murder helper to fucking rehab is because there was a really famous type of rehabilitation treatment for alcoholism that was based upon an elixir that had uh, like liquid gold in it or something. And so Holmes is like, all right, you're getting too fucked up. Go to this place, get this elixir shot in you. Also take notes on what that elixir looks like. I don't need to know what's in it. Just tell me what the bottle looks like. Cause when you come back, I'm going to manufacture." a counterfeit version of that and I'm going to sell it by mail out of my pharmacy like it's the real thing. So Pitzel goes to rehab, comes on back, his head's a little bit clear, and when Pitzel comes back, he tells Holmes like, hey what's up? I got to tell you, there's some girl working at that rehab thing. She is super pretty. She was great. I feel way better. Thanks for sending me out there boss. I'm ready to get back to murdering. Holmes is like, tell me more about this pretty girl. What's going on out there? So then Holmes gets the information of this pretty girl from a rehab from his assistant, and then contacts her, offers her twice her salary to come and work for him in Chicago, and she takes him up on the offer, not just for the money, but also because of the charm of the big city of Chicago. I believe the uh, the rehab was in Iowa. So, again, big city charm of Chicago, double the money, young charismatic doctor offering it to you. She's like, I'd love to come work for you. So, unfortunately, this lady shows up, and Holmes puts on his bejangle bracelets again. Here we go, saber tooth tiger necklace. Here comes the pickup artist again. Lays the shit on thick. Flowers, bike rides, the whole thing. And at this point in time, Ned shows back up. Jeweler Ned. His wife's not there anymore. His wife's been dead for a minute. So Ned shows back up, and he has to talk with Holmes. But Holmes isn't there. He's talking to this girl who just came from the rehab, who's newly in love with Holmes. And Ned's like, look, I don't know what you know about H.H. Holmes. This dude's a piece of shit, honestly. I don't know where my wife's at. I left her here. He's a total scummer. I don't know what he did to my wife's sister. You can't trust this dude. And the girl from the rehab who just got there, who's newly in love with Holmes is like, yeah, okay, get the fuck out of here, dude. I don't even like you. I don't believe you. You should probably leave. Rehab girl is totally infatuated with Holmes. He tells her that like, he also starts lying to this girl and being like, I'm serious. I'm Honestly, you can't tell people this. I'm secretly a European Lord. You know, my name Holmes you know how it's like Sherlock Holmes? That's because I'm a secret European lore At some point in time, I'll tell you what, we can go see my secret royal family in Europe if you want. Just don't tell anybody, keep it on the down low. You know, I know you just thought that I was like a really successful doctor. Definitely not murdering people or anything, but I am a secret European royalty. And maybe one day we can go see him, I'm telling you. So the rehab girl's old boss visits her and reiterates the same thing that Ned the jeweler said. Where it's like, this place is fucking weird. It just doesn't add up. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know where he's getting all this money. This seems suspect. Also, it kind of smells like chemicals in here. Do you know what's happening? uh, Like, apartments shouldn't smell like medical waste and surgery. What's going on here? And She's like, I don't know. He does surgeries here. He's got a doctor's office. Stop hating, dude. I'm making twice as much money and I'm in love. Don't worry about it. So, Holmes ends up marrying the rehab lady. This is wife number, like, ten. He promises to take her to Europe to meet his royal family. Now, oh, the rehab girl's name is Emmeline, which I feel bad not saying her name. For the point of the story, rehab girl, but she does get murdered, so I should say her name. Uh, Now, three weeks before Christmas, Emmeline goes and gives uh, an ornate tin that she made to another family that's staying in Holmes' murder palace. And it's three weeks before Christmas, so the family that gets the tin is like, what are you... Why are you giving this to us now? Are you going to be here for Christmas? And it's kind of like, nah, I think I'm leaving. I'm not really into it. I'm not sure what's going on here. Day after that, Emmeline rehab girl disappears. People ask Holmes like, Hey, what happened to that girl? And Holmes is like, I don't know. She ran away with somebody. I heard, uh, she left a letter. She left a letter. She said she ran away with a guy named Robert Phelps. I don't know. I don't know here. Look at this low level marriage certificate. I totally didn't, didn't like forge or anything. Look at this thing. He, Produces a marriage document that looks like it's, like, way low. Well, low. Emmeline wouldn't have a marriage certificate that looks like this. Holmes fucking made this up out of nowhere. People are kind of like, where the, I don't believe this lady's leaving. At this point in time, people are kind of like, Holmes might be full of shit. I don't know what's going on here. I like that girl. She made me a tin. I don't know where she went. I don't know. Holmes said that he moved. That he mailed all, her, all Emmeline's things back to her family. And that was the end of that. Now when police would go and search the murder palace, they would find a footprint in the vault room that belonged to Emmeline, which led them to believe that Emmeline got locked in that vault room and they couldn't wipe the footprint off of the door, which means that when she went into the vault room, the police think that she had no shoes on and then the, uh, there was acid on the floor and then she tried to kick her way out of the vault room, which then left a footprint in acid on the door after Holmes' murder. So that's actually what happened to Emmeline there. All right, 1893. Holmes, newly single again. What do you know? He's also got a machine to make fake documents. He's got that fake rehab cure by mail. He's got a handful of tenants, and he's getting ready for the world's fair guests. He's making a bunch of money, still not caught yet, making money. Here we go. He gets nice furnishings in advance of the fair guests, but he does, he does kind of feel it like his time in Chicago is stacking up. It might be time to fucking leave here. Even, he was like, even for H.H. Holmes, this is a lot of loose ends here. This is like four different women that I was supposed to marry that are dead. Eventually, somebody's going to catch on. That chloroform guy is still giving me looks when I pick shit up every three days. I got to figure out what I'm doing here. And at this point in time, private detectives and letters from the families of the, all the women he's murdered are showing up at his place. And the private detectives don't suspect Holmes yet. But they definitely want information out of him. And Holmes doesn't like that private detectives are showing up. But he's also an egomaniac. So he'll go and talk to detectives and make friends with them by the end of it. And be like, I don't know. She was so nice. I don't know where she went, you know. I really wish you luck. Meanwhile, when they're leaving, he's like, I might have to get the fuck out of Chicago soon. I am going to get caught for murdering. But he does need a new secretary. Somebody to type. But mostly, again, he's looking for somebody who's mentally weak and in need and new to the city. One to lure them, make them fall in love with him, but his pattern was that once that they fell in love with him and became his wife, or like we're gonna become his wife, he'd get bored with them and murder them. Woman who fits this description, lady named Minnie Williams, who is 25. This is a girl he met in Boston. Totally fit the bill. Now, plus she's got money from inheritance, but it's mostly in the form of land from Texas. So H.H. Holmes is like, I could use some land in Texas. I gotta fucking leave Chicago anyway. This could be a great fit. So she moves, she comes over, totally falls in love with them way too quick. Holmes gets bored almost immediately with Minnie Williams, but she's in Chicago now. He hit her up, you know, she's his personal stenographer. Things are going well. The one thing is that Holmes tells her, cause she knew him by another name. He was living under like different aliases for every different city he was in. So when Minnie Williams shows up and knew him from a totally different life, totally different name, he's like, hey, what's up? You're my babe now, but you do have to call me Holmes for business reasons. Is that all right? And Minnie Williams is like, that's fine. I love you. I love being here. I got some land in Texas. I'm so happy to be in Chicago. Everybody fell for this slick doctor thing in Chicago, partially because the city was on the, on the come up. So Holmes promises many trips to Europe too, feeds of that bullshit about royal family. Try and He's like, I'm going to marry you. But before I marry you, just real quick, sign, uh, sign that land in Texas over to this other guy. It's not even me. It's not, It's just another name. You don't even... I'm not. It's not even for me. It's for another guy. But all your inheritance land in Texas. Sign it to this dude, and then we'll get married. We'll go to Europe, babe. What do you think? And Minnie's so in love. She's like, this totally makes sense. That's fine. So at this point in time, Holmes makes a fake corporation. So he can hide his assets and redirect creditors in another direction. Cause they're getting tired of his bullshit. Plus he has to have a way to hide this land in Texas. So he makes like an Enron for his murder palace for the financial district of his murder enterprise here. So he's, t- he does a marriage ceremony with Minnie. It goes great. He never files any of the paperwork. <laughs> he never actually becomes her husband. She doesn't know. He's just lying to people being like, I took care of it. We're totally married at this point in time. Now, this is when Minnie writes back to her sister, and she's like, hey, I met this guy. He's a handsome young doctor. He totally fell in love with me. I did sign my land in Texas over to this other person. It's not even him. It's not a big deal. He's great. What do you think? Are you happy for me? And her sister writes back, and she's like, uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds fine, but like, I don't know, you're not very attractive. Are you sure? This kind of sounds suspect. And Holmes doesn't like Minnie's sister asking questions. So Holmes is like, I'll tell you what, Minnie, have your sister come to Chicago for the fair. Have her come here to Chicago. She'll stay at my place. I'll murder her. I mean, I'll meet her and we'll go to the fair. It'll be great. I'm not definitely not going to kill her or anything. Just have your sister come. I can't wait to meet her. If she's anything like you, I'm going to love her. we got plenty of rooms. We've got that World's Fair coming up. I'd love to meet the family. So, World's Columbus Exhibition Fair begins, and Holmes starts ramping up the murdering. He knew he was going to do it so much so that he got an apartment for his wife, Minnie, on the other side of Chicago. He said that, like, oh, okay, well, we can live over there. You know, we're going to have a lot of tenants here during the fair. Just for our own peace of mind, let's just get another place where we can hang out. He never went there. He d- it was just to store his wife while he was murdering as many people as possible carrying out his plan that he's been devising for the last four or five years to kill as many people as he can. And he gets going. Disappeared right away. Waitress goes missing. Stenographer goes missing. A male physician that helped Holmes goes missing. All of them going down that, shooting to the basement, I bet. Sometimes the whole building would smell like cleaning chemicals and combustible gas. He is running on full clip, and he knows that he's going to leave Chicago. That's his plan. After this fair's done, he's going to burn this fucking place down, and just leave he doesn't know where he's going but he's not staying in chicago he knows even for him this is going to be too many loose ends by the end of this but he's going and nobody's really noticing all these people disappearing because so many people are coming to chicago just to see the fair there's so many people coming and going the police are busy with the fair the fair itself used three times as much electricity as the whole city of chicago when it was operational. People are busy trying to run the fair. It's one of the most complicated things of all time, and there's a lot riding on it for the city of Chicago. Nobody's paying attention to the young doctor who's running his own personal castle. Everybody kind of thinks he's a good guy. He does buy a lot of chloroform. But other than that, I mean, nobody's really suspecting him. Does this place smell like chemicals and death most of the time? Yeah. I don't know what's going on. We're trying to outdo Paris and the Eiffel Tower. Nobody's got time to look into this young doctor. Now, Holmes made a rule that he never kept trophies. The way that he worked when he would kill somebody is that the actual act of killing them in in itself would be the thing that he was going for. And he, he didn't keep any trophies from them. So he wouldn't. That's the one thing that they say that serial killers keep a piece of their victims or whatever. Holmes didn't do that. He would burn them up in that bootleg crematorium or try to sell their bodies to a medical college to make money off it. He was just there. He wanted, he enjoyed uh, the act of killing people. He said when he was a kid or in his memoirs that like, he just always had a, a hunger to want to kill people the way other people wanted to eat. So Minnie's sister shows up from Texas and she gets there and she's like, Holmes is a little bit uglier than I thought. Maybe my sister did charm this guy. He's not as hot as she said he was. But Holmes starts doing that elbow-touching mystery method shit to her sister, too. And then she falls for him. And she's like, he is great. I didn't know. I get it now, right? So Holmes is playing host to his wife's sister. So he takes both of them to the Columbus Exhibition World Fair. There's no better place to take them. They're going to go out to a day on the fair. So they go And they visit the electricity building. There's a building about mining. There's electric boats and man-made lagoons. There's chandeliers that are 75 feet in diameter. The world's first Ferris wheel was at this place. It was built by a dude named George Ferris. It was fucking huge, by the way. It was the first one. And it wasn't completed by the time the fair opened. It got completed by the end of it. But people were looking at that thing like, I've never seen anything like this. And it looks really dangerous, man. And it was. The I mean, it didn't fall down or anything, but it was the first time they were doing something. They were building it on a massive scale. It was supposed to outdo the Eiffel Tower. But I thought it was interesting that that's where the Ferris wheel comes from, is this World's Fair, the Chicago World's Fair that happened at the same time that H.H. Holmes was killing a bunch of people in his Disney Haunted Mansion. That was the first Ferris wheel. So there's moving pictures. There's ways to, like, send voicemails across. He is crushing this first impression with his wife's sister on it. Except for this, the, I mean, how it ends is terrible, but as far as making a first impression, he's doing pretty well here, entertaining her. Everybody's having a good time. They come back again on the 4th of July for the fireworks display. Hey, now, he, and he invites Minnie's sister to stay at the murder palace and, or the second apartment. He's like, hey, where, where are you staying in Chicago? Just stay with us. We're having a great time. How great is Chicago? And she's having a great time, and Minnie's happy that her sister's having a great time because it's making her choice of a husband look even smarter to her sister. Now, this all comes to kind of a quick halt because Holmes is like, oh, hey, I forgot, uh, uh, like, they're in the separate apartment, the, the place that Holmes got for his wife separately from the murder palace. And then he's like, oh, hey, real quick, I got to go back to the, my, uh, my office in my castle. Hey, do you want to, Minnie's sister, do you want to come with me just to help? I just got to do some documents. Just come with me real quick. So the sister comes with Holmes to the castle to his office, and then as she's in Holmes' second floor office with him, Holmes is like, hey, can you, actually, I forgot, I'm sitting down, so I can't get this myself. Can you go out and just go to that room? It's right out in the hallway to the right. It's a, It looks like a vault. I don't know why they build it like that, you know, but there's a document in there. Can you get out there and just go in there and get that document for me? It'd be great. Is that all right? And the sister's like, oh, I can't. Oh, thank you. Oh my God, Holmes, I love you. And then goes in and goes in the vault. Holmes creepily follows behind her, slams the fucking door, and the sister's in there for a minute, and she thinks that, like, it was a mistake, she's embarrassed, because Holmes has told her that, like, I think you're really talented as an artist, also I'm a secret, like, European royalty, after these World's Fair, we're taking a vacation, I'm gonna make you go to art school in Germany, because I believe in your talent so much, and all of this is what the sister's thinking as she's locked in this murder vault, she's like, oh, this is definitely an accident, I'm gonna be embarrassed. I don't, you know, I just got to stay calm. But eventually she starts flipping out. Meanwhile, Holmes is listening to all this with his ear pressed up against that gas pipe where he can hear people when they suffocate. He eventually just turns the gas on and kills his sister. Also, right around this time is when he kills his wife, Minnie, at the same time, gets rid of both their bodies. Holmes is single again. The fair ends. And this, I mean, newly single Holmes is like, all right, I know what I've done. I'm going to stick to the plan. I got to get the fuck out of here because I don't even know how many people I've killed. I don't, I have, I don't even know, but I got to go. So he lights the third floor of the murder palace on fire and then claims the insurance on it. Now the insurance company is like, I, I don't know me. I, I actually have heard of this guy before and I think he's fucking full of shit. So the insurance company doesn't refuse to pay, but the insurance company says, Hey, I'm not going to pay you HH Holmes because you're not the guy who's on the insurance company claim, I will pay a guy named Hiram S. Campbell if he shows up for the money himself. And when they say this to Holmes, Holmes is like, actually, never mind. It, was, it wasn't even that bad of a fire, to be honest with you. I'll take care of it myself. Sorry about that. I don't really know where Hiram S. Uh, I mean, if I find him, I'll let him know. But thanks so much. And the insurance company is like, yeah, fucking okay, man. And At this point in time, Minnie's family also hires a private detective, and they start aggressively looking at Holmes for being the murderer. Plus, debt collectors are really coming at Holmes now because he hasn't paid anybody. And the Chicago, once the fair was over, everybody was so preoccupied with how the fair is going to work. How's it going? How's Chicago look now that it's done, people are starting to look around and be like, "What the fuck did all those people, how many people are actually missing right now? And there's a lot of questions being asked. So debt collectors start talking to each other about Holmes and they stage a financial intervention with HH Holmes. One of the debt collectors tricks Holmes into coming into this room. And he's just like, look, it's just you and me. We'll talk about this debt. Holmes walks into this office. And there's 12 different financial institutions that he owes money in there. Plus a police officer. And he owes a total of like $50,000 to these people. Which is a ton of money in 1890. So he's like, oh my God, guys, I'm sorry. I didn't know you guys like, I'll talk to each other. What Can we work this out or what's going on? He, la- he tries to lay it on thick with the Charles Ponzi, but all these guys already know how full of fucking shit he is. And there's 12 of them plus a police officer. So it's h- kind of hard to lie to 12 people who all have the same story about what a hunk of shit you are. So he tries to lay it on as thick as he can. And the, the debt collectors are like, all right, please go in another room. We're going to talk about what we want to do with you. The plan was to arrest you as soon as you come in this room, but you have made a good case. We're going to talk about it a little bit. So Holmes is like, okay, thank you so much. Let me go into another room. So he goes into a different room and one of the debt collectors comes into that room with Holmes and they don't know how Holmes figured this out, whether he heavy hand shook that one debt collector, gave him some money for some information or what, but Holmes found out that like, yeah, they're going to arrest you, buddy. You got to get the fuck out of here. And he hears that, and he's like, all right, it's, uh, it's time to go ahead and go to Texas. Let's go to the fucking, where's that land that I had that lady that, I don't know what happened to her. I mean, in my mind, I definitely murdered her, but I got that Texas land, and that's where I'm going. I'll fucking see you. H.H. Holmes escapes all the debt collectors, the cop, everybody else, rolls out. But he forgot to burn his place down. All that evidence is still there. People don't know what's going on here, but Holmes is gone. But year after the Chicago Fairs ends, People are really asking questions like, hey, where did all of those people go? There's way too many disappearances. I mean, we've never had an event like this in Chicago before, but there are some serious loose ends here. Where the fuck did all these people go? So 1894, 1895, a Philadelphia detective starts tracking Holmes for insurance fraud. And they find him in Boston in 1895. Now Holmes is arrested for insurance fraud in 18, or I'm sorry, in 1894. Because what he did was that he claimed life insurance on his his assistant, Pitzel. Remember that guy he sent to rehab? He claimed life insurance on him. But the police suspect that Holmes killed him and also maybe killed his kids too. Because Pitzell had two girls and a boy and a wife. The wife's still around. Nobody knows where the kids or Pitzell went. And Holmes claimed the insurance on him. So Philadelphia detective gets him in. And Holmes admits to insurance fraud to this Philadelphia detective. He's like, all right. Here's what I did. I did burn a cadaver, and then I said that Pitzel blew up in an explosion, and I got the money from that. Now, I don't know where the fuck the kids are. I got nothing to do with the wife. I don't even know where Pitzel's at. I just gave him some of the money. I definitely didn't kill anybody, though, but I did do that insurance fraud thing. I'm very sorry. I will take the rap for that. Please stop asking questions about me. At this point in time, police now find letters from the children of Pitzel to their mother that were never sent to their mother, in Holmes's possession, June 1895. Police detectives now using those letters that they found in Holmes's possession from the children that were supposed to go to their mother. They track down where Holmes has been all over the country. Now they follow the trail he took with Pittsells' kids, and they know from the letters that he stopped in Cincinnati. Now they know that they know where he stopped because they found out that Holmes used a prior name that he used, A.E. Cook. And he used that in Vermont once and they they know his handwriting by now. So they find where he hung out in Cincinnati and they find out that he went from Cincinnati to Indianapolis and he still had the children with him. Now, police find out that Holmes rented multiple locations in both Cincinnati and Indianapolis. And they don't know why they would figure out Holmes did this because he was moving both. He had a new babe before he scooted to Chicago or before he left Chicago and went to Texas, he did have a new wife right at the end. So he has a wife with him and he also had pit kids, but he didn't, they, he didn't let them know that each other existed in their lives. So as he was bopping around from Cincinnati to Indianapolis, he was renting a room for himself, for his wife and for the kids. So he was having multiple locations in these cities as he was moving around and police are like, what the fuck was this guy doing? This is the weirdest insurance fraud ever. Now, they find out after that Holmes was doubling up locations, they find out that the wife didn't know about any of this and that the kids were well fed, but from the letters they missed their mom, but they're trying to figure out a motive. Now the final letter that they had from one of the kids and was in Detroit. So the same Philadelphia detective runs the same play and tracks down all the hotels Holmes rented in Detroit. Now he had one for the wife, one for the kids. And one for Pitcell's wife in Detroit, and they were all three blocks apart, which makes the story even more sad because the kids were writing to, like to their mom because they missed her, and the mom is secretly 10 minutes' walk away, and Holmes is the only one who knew about this. Now, meanwhile, while the detectives are realizing all this shit is going on, it's just a game for Holmes to possess these people. It's way more than insurance fraud at this point in time. Holmes is some sort of crazy guy, but they can't put all the pieces together. Holmes is in jail in Philadelphia. And he's writing a memoir and writing letters out to newspapers, telling people that, oh, I'm sad. Everybody thinks I'm a criminal. And I just, come on, guys, let me out. This is all a misunderstanding. And he becomes a model prisoner. Meanwhile, he's reading newspapers about himself. He kind of goes Hannibal Lecter at this point in time, writing his memoirs, but it's all humble brags. And he's not admitting any of these crimes. He's telling the police that the kids are in London. And if they are dead, it's because my ex-wife, Minnie... I don't even know what happened there. That's who the kids were with. She must have killed him. Honestly, it was probably Minnie. I had nothing to do with this. I did do the insurance hand where I was building the cadaver. I said I blew my buddy up. I didn't do that, but I didn't kill any kids. I didn't kill anybody, honestly. You guys got no proof on me. Can you please let me out? So the the detectives find that the last place Holmes went was Toronto, and he did the same thing. We had multiple locations about each other. Now, At this point in time, this story is so sensational that the Philadelphia detective, a guy named Geyer, becomes a national story himself. Everybody in America is like, solve what this piece of shit did. Did he murder these kids? What the fuck happened here? Now, a Toronto neighbor remembered when Holmes came to the city, he asked to borrow a shovel for one night. So Geyer, the Philadelphia detective, goes down in one of the locations that Holmes stayed in Toronto and digs in the basement and... About three feet down, he uncovers human bones, and a terrible stink fills the house. He finds two the, the body of the two girls that Holmes is allegedly with, and the mother identifies the bodies. Now, at this point in time, they know Holmes is guilty, but they don't know where the little boy's at, and Holmes is like, I don't know what's going on. Minnie killed him. I don't know. I don't know where the boy is. I heard he was in London. And they actually called over to London, and Scotland Yard was like, these people are not in England. This guy's a fucking liar. So he's blaming Minnie and finally he gets gets interrogated by the DA in Philadelphia, but he just stays silent. He's still just like, Minnie did it. I didn't do this. I didn't do any of this shit. He's selling his memoirs from prison and he's giving like weird sales advice as he's selling his memoirs. He tells the the people who buy his memoirs, he's like, yo, you got to sell these in the locations where the story took place. Just set it up there. You'll sell these books, man. This is a great book. Psychopath, dude. Remember how his murder palace didn't burn down? After they find the two girls' bodies in Toronto, Chicago police, who are embarrassed that all this happened in their city while they were throwing a fair, raid the murder palace. They go into the basement. They find a vat of acid with half a skull, eight ribs in it. They got a shoulder blade in there. There's a hip socket. Human remains soaked in in lye, dissolve the body. They find a secret room in the basement. There's more bones. They walk in, They find this, the secret vault with the footprint from the acid from his wife from the rehab facility. They find a small skeleton. They think it's the boy, but it turns out not to be the boy. But they do find proof that Holmes got annoyed with the little boy in Indianapolis. So the Philadelphia detective is like, all right, this dude's definitely a crazy psycho, fucking serial killer or something. I got to find this boy, though. So he goes to Indianapolis, and while they're investigating it, Holmes' murder palace does get burnt down in Chicago. People don't know who burned it down, whether it was an associate of Holmes or whether the people of Chicago were so disgusted with what happened there that a local person was just like, that's an evil place, and they burned it down. So, Detective Philadelphia goes to Indianapolis, and he's asking people, because he knows the locations Holmes stayed at in Indianapolis, he goes and he asks the neighbors, like, hey, do you know anything? And one of the neighbors is like, yeah, he, uh, He asked me to help him bring a big wooden furnace into his place in Indiana when he was staying here. Also, I know for a fact he had surgical instruments sharpened while he was here. And the Philadelphia detective is like, all right. And then he checks the location and he checks the wood furnace and he finds the teeth of the boy and the rest of the remains of the boy. Holmes is charged with the murder of the boy and the two girls in Toronto. He's put on trial. He's a fucking monster. It's all over the papers. Nobody believes him. America's first serial killer. People in Chicago can't believe this happened. It's like an embarrassment to Chicago. Chicago, the World's Fair turned out all right in Chicago. They made their money back. Everybody loved the Ferris wheel. But then a couple years later, it came back. that like, yeah, you had America's first serial killer. And we know for a fact he killed at least 27, maybe up to 200 people, while that World's Fair was going on. H.H. Holmes was executed by hanging on May 7th, 1896. He was 34 years old. That is episode 51 of Oral Presentations. H.H. Holmes, Charles Ponzi, if he killed people.